Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Exodus 30, I'll read uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. We'll pray, and then I'll allow you to be seated. Exodus 30, verses 17, 18, and 19. If you don't have a Bible, they're going to put this on the screen for you to be able to read along. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Most people think just their hands. Hands and feet. Okay? It not matters just how you handle it, but it matters how you walk. Um, And we're dealing with culture and process at the same time here, okay? I, I, want you, I want you to just pray with me because what we're doing is we're really, we're transitioning. We're approaching the holy place. That's what we're doing. We're working from, how many know it's got to be beyond the altar? I don't go straight from the altar to a, a, a ripped veil, but I, I've got to get, there's a process. Some of you have been living for God all your life. You have found out living for God is a process. So we're going to talk about that today. Would you pray with me that the Lord would just do exactly what he needs to accomplish here today as we talk about approaching the holy place. Lord, we love you. I'm thankful for the chance to preach to these great people. I want to do my best to deliver the word. I want to honor you in the way that I feel like you have been working on my heart and my mind for this. I want my thoughts to be clear. I want my words to be clear. I want to be able to approach the text in a way that honors you. I want the people to be strengthened, the body to be edified. I pray right now, very specifically, that you would touch the ears, the mind, and the heart of every listener in this room. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you clap your hands just thunderously one time before the Lord and give Him praise. Amen. And you may be seated. The laver. Everybody shout, the labor of water. That's right. It was a large bowl or a basin that was filled with water, and it was strategically positioned halfway between the brazen altar and the holy place. While there are specific dimensions, and we've talked about this, the specific dimensions that are given so much by the Lord, especially through this process, it is not in place for this particular item. And so rendering seemed to be somewhat generic and, and brought up. While they might look beautiful, there is not a specific dimension or instruction that seems to maybe speak to the purpose as a whole. It was, however, to be entirely cast of bronze and needed to be big enough to do the job. So the priests could cleanse their hands and their feet before they entered into the holy place. Listen, we remind ourselves from last week, the altar was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of death. Okay, and I don't 
mean to mess with anybody that's only got coffee on your stomach right now, but that also means it was a place of bloodshed. You do not get the altar, we talked about it last week, without getting bloodshed. There is bloodshed. And so the brazen laver was needed for the cleansing, to wash those hands. Kids come running in after school, want to touch everything. What do you say, Mom? Hey! Wash your hands. You want to really mess them up after this Sunday when they walk in and say, wash your hands and your feet. <laughs> we were on our way home from that tournament yesterday, and I won't say which one, but one of our children took their shoes off. <laughs> Not today, devil. <laughs> They had, to, they had to do this. They had to wash their hands and their feet, the scripture says, so that they would not die. And we're about to read that in a moment. It was not an optional part of the ceremonial process. That's critical for you catch, especially if you're, if you're taking notes or you want to get into the depth of this. I don't want to bore you, but it is important for you to know as we launch into this topic that this was not optional. It was not as though they could use the altar and then jump around the altar to the holy place. It was for their salvation and the salvation of the people. It could not be used casually. It could not be exercised lightly or simply disregarded. Cleansing was needed before they could continue their priestly responsibilities. One of the great considerations in in writing was it was made of that, that bronze and material and the, and the reflective look. And, and many theologians have pinned and kind of piggybacked onto one another that reaching towards the water, if the water alone had been cloudy, the material not only gave you the opportunity to wash off, but in the reflection of the basin, you remember that when you're working to cleanse the sins of the people, you yourself need evaluation. Both atonement at the altar and cleansing at the labor were necessary for a sinful humanity to approach a holy God. And I would remember us on the heels of the songs which were just saying for us, He is a holy God. He is a holy God. And we are striving to approach Him. Exodus chapter 30, if you want to open your text there, I now want to read those next couple verses. Verses 20. And 21. As we talk about the purpose of the brazen labor for the washing, when they go into the tabernacle, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire to the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his seed throughout their generations. The purpose of the labor of water was to provide a place of cleansing. Somebody say cleansing. Cleansing for the priests. The bloody residue of sacrifice and the sins of the people had to be washed away. It is not meant for you to live with blood on your hands. Hmm. It was the process of sanctification, a process of separation, sinful sacrifice offered to a holy God, and then a cleansing 
purifying of the blood. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. The psalmist wrote, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. There is a purpose in the labor, and it is that sanctification, that washing process. I want to tell you there was a power in the labor. We are washed, we are cleansed, we are purified to enter the holy place. There is a process. And as we consider the types and the shadows of the Old Testament, this labor of water now symbolic of the burial of Jesus Christ and our obedience, obedience through water baptism in the name of Jesus. I want you to know this if you don't know it. The early church baptized one way. One way. Under the water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Under the water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul told the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such... After he goes on talking about idolaters and lasciviousness, talking about all the sin in the book, he looked at the crowd and said, and such were some of you. How many in here, be honest, you don't want everybody in here to know your old business. I know you look good now. But old you, old you was a mess. You know, sometimes, sometimes people that show up at church don't feel like they belong at church because they think you got to be perfect to be at this church. If they really knew some of our past. But I'm going to touch on something else. You hear me right now. That's why I don't apologize for dressing nice when I come to church. Some people say, well, you don't need to dress like that. You don't need to put on that kind. There ain't no need for that suit. Ain't no need for that tie. Maybe not. The suit don't save me. But he did. I put my best on when I come to church for a reason. If you knew where I was headed, when he found me, I can't get anybody. Some of y'all don't want to be honest, so I'm going to stay right here for a minute. You would be a mess right now. You wouldn't have a chance for a suit because you'd be in orange right now. You'd be in some suit behind bar. You'd be looking through right now. But he found you and he carried you. And so, yeah, now listen, hear me right now. Ain't no, this right here, you don't need to wear a suit. You want to get up and put some, uh, uh, some khakis on? You want to get on? If you get up and you want to put a nice T-shirt on, guess what? You belong here 100%. You don't need a tie. You don't need a sports coat. But here's what we do. I do honor the house of God because I honor the God of the house. 
And so when I come in here, it's not about making a fashion statement. On the same side of that, I'm going to go to the opposite side of that. If you dress so nice, you can't praise God. I'm going to just preach for a second. I know some of y'all might not like this, but I'm going to preach for just a second. He picked us up. He put us through baptism. You didn't wear your suit in the water. You put that robe on like everybody else. You went down the center like everybody else. We were buried with him, with him, with him, with him in baptism. So no, don't have to dress like me. I didn't call Brother Chris and say, hey, I'm gonna wear my, I'm gonna wear my, 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 my grayish, like it's black and white, it looks gray from a distance, they should get up close. I'm gonna put on that turquoise tie that I should have thrown away already. I'm gonna put that on, don't laugh, it'll hurt my feelings. I, I'm gonna put that on. I'm, I didn't call you, did I? Say, let's be matchy-matchy today. <laughs> Ministers, we have this joke, UBC, we have this joke, we show up. So many times I'd be at a, a meeting or a conference or something, Brother Sleeva will show up in the office and like four out of the five people will have on a, maybe a black suit with like a, a, a gray tie and one person will have on a blue suit and he's kind of like, uh, did you guys? And there's always some preacher in the room, usually me, that says something like, so you weren't in tune with the spirit. Is that, <laughs> is that what it was? <laughs> Guess what, if you walked in in khakis, you're welcome here. You worked in in a pair of jeans, you're welcome here. Come on now. You belong here. But I gotta pastor a moment and tell you this. We're not gonna make this place casual. We're not gonna treat this like we treat the gymnasium. Why? This is a sanctuary. This is a place we're creating as holy unto the Lord. And I don't care what they're doing at any other building, anywhere else in town. We're not going to pretend that the church is not the church and that the sanctuary is not meant to be a holy place. You're not on the altar anymore. You've went through the washing and you are moving forward. Amen. Therefore, he told the church at Rome, Romans 6, 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness. Newness of life. Colossians 2, 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen through the faith of the operation of God, raised him from the dead, Come on, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, what? Repent, alter, and. If you're here today and you've repented, but you haven't been baptized, you're not done. You've got to be baptized. What did he say? In the name of Jesus Christ for, woo-hoo, 
kill the animal, go to the brazen land. How many remember the day you were baptized? I'm, I just want to get a witness. Does anybody remember how, how special it was when you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? How many of you remember, feel, you felt like you were walking on the... Now, even those of you who were nervous, you private baptism people, can we just do it where no one's around? Yeah! We do our best to talk you into it because it really it is a celebration of the body. That's why we try to do baptisms tied in services because it's a member in the body. If heaven's rejoicing, we feel like the church should. <laughs> Repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. Baptized and then all of a sudden, remember, remember what it felt like to come up out of the water? It doesn't matter if it was 60 years ago. Anybody in here you were baptized over 50 years ago? Stand, if you were baptized 50 years ago or more. If you remember what it felt like over 50 years ago, I want you to raise your hands right now. Because I want everybody in here, if you haven't been baptized, I want you to see this witness. When you're baptized, it is more than water. But it is the power of the name of Jesus Christ and it is the remission of sins. I know you used to. I know you used to. But not after baptism. May be seated. Because he took it away. He carried it away. How about Acts chapter 8? Philip in Samaria. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10, 48. After... The, <laughs> After the Gentiles, Cornelius and the household start speaking in tongues, receiving the Holy Ghost, didn't even have the decency to wait till he was done preaching. <laughs> Look around, almost flustered. Well, can anybody forbid him water? <laughs> and they commanded them. That's what 1048 says. Commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Acts 19, verse 5, when they heard it, they were baptized, how? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22, verse 16, and now, why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized. Why? Wash away your sins. How should we do it? Calling on the name of the Lord. So, so, so yeah, that's how we do it. We look at that labor and we say it's pointing towards something. Remember last week we talked about it's always been a pointing towards something. And the labor of this annual sin offering was pointing towards a process of an eternal sin offering. Pointing towards Christ. And so when we are buried with him, I know you know this, I'm preaching to the choir, but I got a secret for you. Preaching to the choir is fun. Brother Romine, the reason preaching to the choir is fun is if anybody can amen it, the choir ought to be able to amen it. And so here's what I'm about to say, and I think everybody in here can understand this. When we are baptized, it is more than our tradition. It is more than our custom. It is more than us being able... Listen, it is not so we can say, whoop, three more this week. 
It is not so we can put some online stat so that somebody in some other city can look at Calvary and compare themselves. We're not putting it online for other people to come. We are holding ourselves accountable by asking ourselves, what are we doing to get new believers? New believers to the process of repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a part of the process. We got to have it. And our pattern is the Word of God. The washing of sanctification, the preparation through obedience, which includes we've got to read, we got to study. One of the great theological looks at the brazen labor is the comparison to the Word of God, which seemingly knows no limits. I know that you can try to relegate it to 66 books, but the truth was actually given to us in the Gospels that the world could not contain the books. This is what we get. This is what we could handle. And let's be honest, some of us can't handle this. Throughout the ages, there have been scores, multitudes of people who have wanted to go through this and take out what they don't like. We got entire, we got entire genres that believe in God, but not the miraculous. We got theologians that can figure in that the New Testament has portions of accuracy, but the Old Testament was not any longer valid. Then we've got another group who want to continually debate the old. All or nothing. I don't want partial truth in an impartial world. I do not want partial truth in an ungodly world. From the front cover to the back cover, I want the Word of God applied to my life. And that's the kind of church Calvary's gonna be. We're gonna be the kind of church that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is recognized as the Christ of the New Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord manifest in Jesus Christ. If you don't like that, you don't like gospel. If you don't like that, you don't like the Word. Don't take that up with me, take that up with God. It's His Word. Buy the truth and sell it not. Woo! Praise God. Man, I'm excited. It's the Word of God. Not just chicken elbow. It's the Word. Don't get mad at me. It's the Word. I don't think you should have to go all the way under the wall. I don't care. It's the word. I don't think it's really necessary that they say that. I don't care. It's the word. I'm not trying to win an argument with you. You know how many people just want to get you into an argument? Can I help you in your Bible conversations? Quit saying things like, I think No offense, who cares? I don't even care what I think. Not when it comes to text. Well, pastor, I'm talking about like the exegetical. And <laughs> Listen to me. You gotta be buried in the name 
of Jesus Christ because it's the only way they buried them. They put them down in the water from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. They put them under the water. So much in fact that Jesus walked up to John and said, bury me. He said, no, 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 I can't do this. He said, John, you're gonna baptize me. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I just told all these people that I'm not even worthy to un, uh, unlatch at your shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm not, John, all righteousness is dependent on this. Hear me right now, model matters. Hmm. See, I'm already supposed to be done preaching this point. Hmm. Model matters. Model matters. Here's what I think. I think if we could get about a thousand new people in the next year or so to genuinely repent, and we get about a thousand new people to genuinely get baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. Thousand people? Thousand people. Hey, I'm tired of dreaming small. I'm tired of looking at the grand scheme of eternity. Why? Why does it matter? Because the model matters. And I promise, you hear me, church? Man, I feel the unction of God right now. God is so designed to the church. People want to talk about where we're at. You take a look about where he has positioned this church, the church as a whole, the church of the name, in this grand scheme of the eternal plan. You go back and you map it out on the timeline of God, and you look at where he has us sitting right now. We have never been more perfectly positioned for a mass harvest of souls. We have never been more positioned. So this is not the time to question what we believe or how we live. No, this is the time to remind people there's always been a process leading to right now. I know you've been a sinner, but if you repent and if you're baptized, you can transition toward the holy place. Find everybody, everybody around you, just sit all around you and say, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Even if you think they've been baptized, even if you know they've been baptized. Uh, and we need the word we need the word the priestly garments let me briefly touch these Exodus 28 2 through 4 holy garments for Aaron thy brother glory beauty Speak to those that are wise-hearted. I filled with the spirit wisdom that they might make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he might minister to me in the priest's office. These are the garments which they shall make that breastplate and the ephod and the robe and the broidered coat, a mitre, that headdress and the girdle, that belt. You'll make holy garments unto Aaron thy brother and his sons that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Because whether anybody wants to agree with it or not, if you're going to be a priest, you do got to step forward. You do got to be separate. And before you think that means just the pastor in Revelations, he's going to say, we're all priests. Well, Exodus 28, 31 through 35, make a robe, an ephod of all blue. Be a hole in the top of it, midst thereof, binding woven work around the hole. The hole that it would be not rent. Beneath it, the hem, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet about the bells of gold between them. Golden bell and a pomegranate. Golden bell and a pomegranate. Incredible message from two years ago. Um, 
uh, Mark conference on the Friday morning session. You need to go back and listen to the bells and the pomegranates from my friend, Brother Wells, who preached here. Golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe. It shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place. <laughs> because even going into the holy place has a different sound. I don't have time. I do, but I don't. Throw your hands towards heaven with me right now. My God. Trying to get to the holy place, God. We're trying to come. In Leviticus 6, you read how the priest would change their robe before removing the ashes from the brazen altar and taking them out and, and before going towards the holy place in Leviticus 16 you can read how they would change their robe after the washing of the labor of water you can, you can read this transitional plan that is taking place here as they are, as they are changing their clothes and I, 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 I would tell you this it seems that there is evidence maybe necessary showing that there was a change there is a change even in appearance from dimension to dimension Isaiah 61, let's talk about how we might normally preach about it in the Pentecostal church from one of our favorite prophets. We reach back to Isaiah 61 and we read from verse 3 to a point unto them that mourn in Zion. Beauty for ashes. We know that Jesus would later read from this the oil of mourning, the garment of praise. Everybody say the garment of praise. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, He hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7, 13 through 17. And one of the elders answering said unto me, What are these which are arrayed in the white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple and He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall sunlight on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this, that there seemed from the tabernacle until now, until eternity, there seems to be this changing, there seems to be this transition from dimension to dimension. That's why we, don't, we do not anticipate to repent of things we plan on reliving. Three really awkward amens. How many know it's easier to say I'm sorry than repent? But the goal is to transition. And the goal for the people of God, hear me right now, while the entire world might be battling all kinds of anxiety, the goal for the church should be that we are able to take on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. How can you pray? Because I'm going to a new, I'm in a new dimension. I'm in a dimension that is not an earthly dimension. I'm trying to be in a heavenly 
How many would believe and agree with me there are places in God, there are depths in God, there are realms even in the Spirit. We have not even begun to exhaust the possibilities of His grandeur. We have not begun to exhaust the, the levels. That's why we don't just want to have good church. We want to have deep moves of the Spirit of God where we can transition into the Spirit of God. Praise God. And so as we, as we, as we transition, and you've got to kind of watch the priest. He's taken off one. He's put on another. He's working towards the holy place. In his, in his book, Heaven, Earth, again, I would encourage you to read it. He, he goes through it, and, and, and he begins to talk now about the posts. And I'm going to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take a little time just and, and briefly walk through these. The po- Everybody say the posts. We're looking to transition from the, from the outer court to the holy place. We're trying to get there, but there's another transitional gate. Life is full of transitions. Yes, it is. Transition from pre-K to K. Transition from kindergarten to grade school. Transition from grade school to middle school. My Lord. Help us, Jesus. The transition from junior high to high school. Junior high. Everybody's friends. Everybody's nine. High school. I remember walking into junior high. You could show up at any junior high as a youth pastor and take candy. You were cool. You show up at a high school randomly with candy. You're a creep. I found out pizza worked a lot better in high school. Transition. 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 How many know it always matters how we transition? Transition. Your life is full of it. From living with your parents to living on your own. Wasn't that just a shot to the jaw? When you found out toilet paper costs money. Transition. I was in my house two, two days ago. I was in my house looking around and flashback. And I was looking around my house and I thought, I had no idea all this stuff cost money. Everything. Light bulbs. Look. Oh, Lord. Transition. How about transition from single to married? Woo. We're happy. You're not that happy. You, you have problems just like everybody else. We've never fought. You ain't been married long. I love everything about her. Give it a while. Am I telling the truth? How many have found out that even in marriage there are transitions? In marriage. I had a district superintendent tell me a few years back. They said the hardest year of our marriage was year 21. I said, well, thanks for that. Glad I got that to look forward to. <laughs> my, cousin, my cousin said, we have been married 15 glorious years. I said, that's amazing. My dad said, it is not that amazing. They've been married 27 years. <laughs> Tra- transition happens. And you got to be Intentional. Through transition. You can have a good marriage, but it's work. 
If many of us were really honest with God, we would be able to say, there are places in God I could have gone, but I couldn't handle the transition. I don't leave the shallow end because I know I can't drown here. I figured out, I have gotten myself used to the temperature here. Transitions affect everything. There are there working into the holy place. There are the five posts, the pillars. Let's, let's read about them. Exodus 26. Exodus 26, 36, and 37. Thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent of blue, purple, scarlet, fine twined linen wrought with needlework. Thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and they shall cast five sockets of brass for them. There was a little, there was a little like outline of the tabernacle. I don't know if you guys have that. If you do, um, showing the posts, it's like this little, yeah, you see, see this here? See these five posts? This is kind of where we're at. How do I get to the holy place? It's a transition. It was a transition then, it's a transition now. Okay, I gave them some pictures. My wife and I got to go to Israel uh, last, not in 2020, but in 2019. In November of 2019. And, and while we were there, we got to go to, um, I don't know, so many different sites. It's kind of incredible. Um, but we, we got to go to this, this spot right here. Uh, I think you pronounce it uh, Biet Shean. I, 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 I'm pretty positive that's how you pronounce it. And if not, no one knows. So <laughs> this is where we were. And we were looking around. But look at the, look, this is kind of like the back ground of someone where they have a residence. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. But this was kind of what the backyard looked like. And then there was a farmer that lived in this region right here, had his property. And while he was developing, working, farming the land, there was, there was in his backyard this circular like a piece that he couldn't, he kind of dug around it, but as he dug, it was still there. And so, and so he, he began to reach out to the, to the local government, began to tell them they needed to come, and because there's been tremendous amount of excavation, obviously, over the years, and wanted them to come and look at this circular thing to make sure he didn't damage anything. So show this next picture. I want you to see this here. When they, yeah. Go, go, there's one more. Go to the next one. See that, that pillar right there? The top foot of that is what he was digging around. It was the singular column, post, pillar, left standing from now go back to that previous picture. When they started digging, that's what they unearthed. Isn't that something? From one column that refused to fall, they were unable to unearth this ancient city. It's pretty incredible. When you're walking the streets, uh, you couldn't see it from here. Uh, I've got a better picture. Maybe I'll show some time. But when you're walking through the streets, you can see in the hewn stone where there are grooves from chariot races. It's, it's amazing. But it was unearthed because of a column that would not stand. And so I want to I talk here for a second. Brother Mangan in this book, he does something to talk about these posts. 
Now, this is the way, remember, this is strategically praying through. And this is the part, I've just got to tell you, this is the part I was going to skip. And so some of you are thinking, I wish you would have. Listen. <laughs> he takes this and he, he goes to the prophet Isaiah. Go in your Bible, if you have a Bible, and flip back to the prophet Isaiah. Go to chapter 9. <clears throat> He takes a pattern of intercession from the posts and he draws it from the well of nine verses six and seven. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord, He'll perform this. Now listen, here's where I was going to jump over this. and I did not, the Lord, He, he, he grabbed me last night. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through these. I'm going to tell you what I'm walking through. I'm going to preach through them. Give me five minutes. Can you give me five minutes? He, he pulls these posts and he, and he makes a, a likeness unto Isaiah. He is not saying this is what they were pointing to. He is utilizing this for a structured place in prayer. And I will tell you that it is, it, it is a great assimilation here. He references the sovereign kingship of Christ. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I would come to this first post, and I would take this teaching, and I would tell you what you already know. In this world, there is still a sovereign king. People are arguing vaccine this or not vaccine that. Corona this and virus that and pandemic this and presidential. Somebody said, how do you feel about it? I'll tell you how I feel about it. He is king of all. He has not brought us here to leave us here. Said, Pastor, but where do you fall on the ends of the political spectrum? That's, n I'm sorry. I'm not spending time preaching about that. I'm going to tell you this. Whether it's republic, democratic, independent, you better vote the word and you better live the word and you better live Jesus Christ as king of your life. Hear me right now. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe this book. But that greater than one pillar that unearths an old city, that is one pillar that is never going to topple. Let the floods come. Let the destruction in. It does not matter. He is King of all. Isaiah referenced his government and his kingdom. It is eternal. It is spiritual. It is never ending. And so we approach him as a sovereign king. 
Because at the end of the day, you're not going to get your answer from the government anyway. Our last resort cannot be God. I tried everything, so if maybe. Now he's merciful. Because many of us in here would have the testimony. I was down to it all, and I prayed, and I said, if you save me, I'll never do it again. Thank God for his mercy. But I need to tell you, I don't recommend that. <laughs> How do you feel? Not good. Not good about that. I think he ought to be our first choice. I think he needs to be our first decision. I think he needs to be what we are after from the beginning. Seek God. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. I'm going to tell you this, and I, I, I went to school for, for several years, did all kinds of counseling, studied all kinds. I, told, I tell people every week, I sit in meetings, and I tell them, I am not a licensed counselor, and I never will be. Never will be. It will restrict me. I'm a pastoral counselor. Because all my recommendations are going to come from this text. I might give you some human, basic, spiritual, practical things. But the best session I ever got was when the teacher, my professor looked at me and said, truth be told on all of it, there's one counselor and he's wonderful. Here's what I'm convinced of. If we could get every drug addict and every... If we could get every alcoholic... If we could get every broken marriage, if we can get every distraught mind really just to the feet of the wonderful counselor, our best tips, our best techniques, our best plans, they would all pale in comparison to one moment. One moment. Yeah, well, there's a lot of changing things. Not that post, not that pillar. He is a wonderful counselor. And there has never, never been a statement that made hell more mad than when Isaiah said, Wonderful counselor, <laughs> mighty God. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what you said, mighty. While hell thought it was going to have a heyday on earth. Go to the gospel when the devil shows up and starts tempting Jesus after 40 days. What does he want to do? He wants to disprove Isaiah's prophecy. Mm -hmm. Remember last Sunday night, preached about Edom? Traveling Edom, traveled on, on forward. You get to Herod. Remember Herod, the guy who wants babies to be killed when Christ... Wise men, won't you just bring a report where he's at so that I can come worship him? You mean kill him? Why? Wonderful counselor, mighty God. I'm going to give you something here. He showed up when he wanted to. He lived how he had to. And he left when it was time to leave. The devil had nothing to do with his agenda. Hear me. Very clearly, he is the mighty God. The devil has no say. The devil has no say. That's why I refuse to admit for even a moment that the devil should have say over what we do. I don't worship him. I worship the mighty, the mighty God. 
I know you love God, but every, I'm going to tell you right now, it would effectively change many people in this room if you would recognize he's not just God, he is the mighty God. Hear me right now. Your marriage would be better. Your prayers would be stronger. Your outlook on life would be different. He's not just God. He is a mighty God. He picks me up in the morning. He puts breath in my lungs. I know we don't have it all figured out, but he gave me a family to work with. I don't have the biggest house, but he put me in a hall. He has blessed me. He is a mighty God. Well, yeah, what about the challenges that you're going to deal with? I'm going to tell you how I'm going to handle them. I'm going to go to the mighty God. There's going to be a lot of posts that might fall, but you're never going to transition to the holy place without recognizing He is a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. This place is riddled right now with people whose own fathers were a bum. Oh, that's harsh. I don't care. It's the truth. Your dad was a joke, but your heavenly Father, He has been good to you. I used to, hear me, I used to, I used to make the statement and I didn't mean to sound this way, but I had picked it up in my preacherisms. I don't care what you've been through. Until somebody said, well, you sound dumb. Because you should care. And I didn't mean, well, I don't care. I meant, so you hear me very clearly. I do care. I do care that they abused you. I do care that they walked out on you. I do care the way that they treated your mom. I do, I do care. Some of you in here, you can't relate with that because your dad was great. He Maybe he wasn't perfect, but he was great. But all over this room, there's people who when they hear Father, it fractures them psychologically. But I want to tell you whether you're a first-time visitor or a seasoned saint that's sitting in this room, there is a heavenly Father who has never abandoned you. He has never given up on you. In fact, I would tell you He's the reason that you're even here today. Without Him, we would have nothing. But He is an everlasting... He's a father that gathers us close. Even in Jerusalem's demise, he said, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen, the chicks beneath their wing. I love you. And he's not just a father. He is an everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. Stand with me. He is the prince of peace. Somebody let that roll off your mouth, just off your tongue. Say the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. He can speak peace to your mind. He can speak peace to your heart. Everything in my life has fallen over. We'll keep digging around this pillar. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never even find the end because He is everlasting. And He is a prince of peace. How many of you remember at a time of great loss or significance, there was no reason for peace to fill your home. But whew. You know, we recently lost 
my uncle so close to me. I was in prayer early morning devotion uh, yesterday or two days ago and I began to reach out to his children feeling that wave of emotion myself. But as I begin to think about him, I begin to think about those old songs. My favorite memories of him are songs of the gospel in the living room. And all of a sudden, the prince of peace. Haven't you ever heard that compliment given to somebody who's always kind? They said, man, they're just a prince of a man. Just kind, just you. He's not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He is the Prince of Peace. How's, how's that possible? Because you started by talking about His sovereign kingdom because He establishes peace. And if I'm going to get into the holy place, it is a pretty good principle to consider. I need somebody to hear me here today before you walk out of this house, before you leave this building. He is everything you need Him to be. I need fresh authority in my life. He's a sovereign king. We, we got a situation we're dealing with. The doctors have given us a report. He is the mighty God. I feel like everybody's walked away. Everybody's abandoned me. He is an everlasting Father. My mind, my mind. He is a Prince. Would you throw your hands towards heaven? Who? Ah. Ah. Oh. Oh. Come on, that same prophet Isaiah in chapter 26, he said, you give perfect peace to those whose minds are fixed on you. John 14, he said, I'm, I'm leaving you with the gift of peace. Ooh, come on, throw your hands towards heaven. If you're willing in your own way, would you? Begin to pray with me right now.